How fun to gather as a community and lay down an offering of worship as we start this year. Thank you for coming. Thank you for joining your voice um, in that offering. Two quick announcements before we start. Um, you're going to hear a lot, of, um, a lot of conversations around new prayer initiatives um, in and around campus this year. Uh, we're going to start off with one this Friday. We're going to challenge every room on campus sometime between noon on Friday and noon on Saturday to join with your roommates in just a time of prayer. And we're going to give you prayer cue cards all as you exit here today. And the same thing on convocation on Friday. Um, just gather somewhere on campus. Gather in the green. Gather in your room. Gather in the prayer room. Um, come into a space of worship. Come into a classroom and just pray together. And that's our first challenge to you. Second of all, quick reminder, 11 o'clock Friday, we'll gather back in this space uh, for convocation. You'll see your faculty get all dressed up in crazy-looking robes and colors. Um, and we'll gather and convocate uh, which technically means to gather together. Um, it's a deep meaning there, isn't it? And we'll officially start this academic year together. Now join me in prayer. Father, you've heard the song come out of our mouth, an offering to you. Now we pray that the meditations of our hearts and the stillness of ourselves before your word would be received that you'd receive that offering and that we would receive you. Father, thank you for being with us and thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. So this semester, what I want to do with you guys is walk through the book of Revelation. We're going to spend particular attention um, on a week for each of the seven letters to the seven churches at the start of the book. Um, but understandably for a lot of people, Revelation is kind of a daunting book. It's uh, difficult to understand, mostly because it's different than we're used to. But what I want to show you today is that the book of Revelation has incredible repercussions and immediate bearing on our time and the things going on in our world right now. I'll give you an example, um, if we can go to the next headlines. This is one of the newspapers out this week, and these are some of the headlines that they're talking about. Um, that the dying queen of England is going to quit, and um, Priscilla Presley actually came forth with a recent confession admitting that it was her who killed uh, Elvis. So I want to unpack some of these stories with you and talk about the significance of, of, of news like this. Some of you are smirking. Is this not news? What is this? F fake news. No, that's something different. Where would you find a paper like this? Grocery store line heading out. And what, technically, what kind of paper is this? What, what genre of paper is this? A tabloid. Okay, so you knew looking at this that this wasn't a newspaper. It's a tabloid, and a tabloid operates on a whole different set of rules, doesn't it? You and I have a basic understanding that when we see those headlines going through the grocery store, we're not freaking out thinking, oh no, the queen quit? We're not thinking that at all because you and I both understand that when you come to a different genre of literature that this is not the New York Times, this is not the Washington Post, there's not credibility behind these stories. It's operating under a different principle. Just like when you watch a sci-fi movie, you're not really expecting all the laws of physics to actually be playing out. Or if you were to go in an English class and your professor pulls out William Blake, it's one of my favorite, my prof, Rick Watts' favorite examples. You pull out William Blake and we're reading Tiger, Tiger, Burning Bright. 
which is not actually, believe it or not, a story about the propensity of feral cats to spontaneously ignite during nocturnal wanderings. It's actually something different. But we know that when we come before poetry. But here's the thing. Apocalyptic literature was a genre and a style of literature of which we have many documents of. And from 200 years before Christ until 200 years after him, there's a lot of these for us to compare and contrast to in order to get better insights in how to read the book of Revelation responsibly. Because it isn't often, is it? That's part of the problem with our reading and our understanding of this book is it's often skewed by different voices who have different takes or maybe even different agendas. One guy I read this week said most of us come to the book of Revelation like we come to a Rorschach test. We sort of come to it and we see in it what we already believe and kind of know. But what does it mean to really read it on its own terms? I wanted to be able to know how to prepare you and talk about how this relates to today as well and not sort of an abstract thing. So I went this morning also to this next website. We could put that one up. Okay, so this is the Rapture Index from a website called raptureready.com. And you can see on the right, it actually says the Rapture Index is by no means meant to predict the rapture. However, the index is designed to measure the type of activity that could act as a precursor to you could say the rapture index is a Dow Jones industrial average of end time activity. <laughs> and you can see wild weather, number 38. We got an extra two points for flooding uh, going on right now. So I guess it's up. And it's up because it's at the top left corner. It says the index today is at 182. So if you go to the next screen here, here's how they break it down. One and, 100 and below means slow prophetic activity. 100 to 130 moderate, 130 to 160 heavy, and 160 and above means fasten your seatbelt. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, we are at 182 today. <laughs> we might already be flying through the windshield. Maybe it's why all these different interpretations once led G.K. Chesterton to say it like this. And though St. John saw many strange monsters in his vision, he saw no creature so wild as one of his own commentators. Even the famous reformer John Calvin wrote a commentary on every book in the New Testament, save the book of Revelation. We're often intimidated by this, and I was too. I've been spending a lot of time this summer prepping and reading and getting ready for this, and I'm excited to delve into this and ask a lot of questions. And we should ask a lot of questions in this book. And don't be, it's okay to come with this with a certain humility that we don't have all the answers. There are times where even St. John himself turns to the angel and says, what is this? What does this mean? So if John, who was there when this happened, had all kinds of questions, I think it's okay if we have a lot of questions too. Let's start the book from Revelation chapter 1. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ was the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us 
and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom of priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Right when this book starts, a lot of its cues are sort of given to us. Verse 1, the revelation from Jesus Christ. Also, another way to translate the revelation of Jesus Christ, the revelation about Jesus Christ, the revelation belonging to Jesus Christ. This comes from him, and yet it is about him. There's no other book in the Bible that opens like this. It's the closest that almost describes authorship itself to the person of Jesus. Of, from, about, belonging. Which one is it? Yes. All of them. And the revelation. Go ahead to the next one for us. The revelation, the actual word here is Apocalypse. The apocalypsis Jesu Christu. That's the original. We often use the word apocalyptic today to talk about scary things. The sky is all foreboding. It's apocalyptic looking. But have you ever known anything scary to come out of Jesus for those who are with him? Apocalyptic to them didn't mean what it means the way we use it in English today. The apocalypse of Jesus Christ is a good and beautiful thing. It's trustworthy. Apocalypse means to reveal, to disclose, to make known, to draw the curtain back. It's a glimpse into how things work behind the reality that only our eyes see. It's interesting, the language, even in verse 2, talks about seeing the word, seeing a testimony. How do you see words and see testimony? Well, part of apocalyptic literature is the vivid imagery that it employs. And there's this deep, deep Old Testament overlay where, I don't know if you were ever a kid and you kind of had like one of these decoder rings in a book and you had to kind of shine it over a book and then it sort of changes the meaning inside. Now, there isn't a code that needs to be cracked in terms of how a blueprint will unfold for all of history in the book of Revelation. In fact, the secret to understanding this book has much more to do with understanding the past than understanding the future. I heard one scholar say it like this, that if you really want to be an expert in the book of Revelation, you don't need to be an expert about the future. You really need to be an expert about the Old Testament. In 404 verses, over 500 quotes, allusions, and echoes back to Old Testament take place. More than one per verse throughout the entire book. You want to understand the book of Revelation? You've got to look to the images and symbols of the Old Testament. That's what's being drawn on. From over 30 different Old Testament books come quotes, echoes, and illusions. Revelation is more about the past than it is about the future. That's why in his book, Reverse Thunder, Eugene Peterson says it like this. I do not read the Revelation to get additional information about the life of faith in Christ. I have read it all before in Law and Prophet and Gospel and Epistle. Everything in the Revelation can be found in the previous 65 books of the Bible. The Revelation adds nothing of substance to what we already know. The truth of the gospel is already complete, revealed in Jesus Christ. There is nothing new to say on the subject. But there is a new way to say it. 
I read the Revelation not to get more information, but to revive my imagination. Imagination. So let's go there. Next slide, please. This is a bust of Emperor Domitian. Most biblical scholars believe that he was the one in charge. He was Caesar at the time when this book was written. He reigned from 81 to 96 after Nero and Vespasian began the first kind of systematic persecution of Christians throughout the Roman Empire. Most scholars believe that this book is now being written between the years 92 and 96 AD. Many of the other apostles have already been crucified, killed, murdered. Domitian has come to power, and as his reign has gone on, his own insecurities come to play out in the things that he imposes on the people that serve him. He begins to refer to himself, well-documented across history, as Dominus a Deus in Latin, Lord and God. He renames the Roman Empire the Eternal Empire, and he renames himself the Eternal King. His image starts to appear on things like coins, and across places of worship, like this one in the city of Ephesus. Ruins that remain there to this day. Emperor worship started to become a thing. And you had to, in fact, be able to worship the empire. You had to go through a little bit of a, a, a religious ceremony where you would take something like a pinch of incense, throw it on an altar, and then say, Kaiser Curia, Caesar is Lord. And you could keep your other religion, you could keep your other gods, but this little addition to it was believed in Domitian's eyes to be that which would keep the empire all together and maintain the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. Christians had a hard time throwing a pinch of incense on an altar and saying, Kaiser Curios, Caesar is Lord. It's a rejection and an unwillingness to participate in that activity that lands someone like the Apostle John on the island of Pat Patmos in a prison rock quarry off the coast of modern-day Greece when this revelation occurs. In his rebellion to the empire, in his unwillingness to recognize Caesar according to all of his insecurities. And so this book is filled with the imaginative images. And imagination sometimes is the last thing that we have left when everything else has been taken. In their great book, a commentary on Colossians called Colossians Remixed, Brian Walsh and Sylvia Kiesmatt say it like this. Empires maintain their sovereignty not only by establishing a monopoly of markets, political structures, and military might, but also by monopolizing the imagination of their subjects. Indeed, vanquished peoples are not really subjects of the empire until their imagination has been taken captive. As long as they continue to have memories of life before exile and as long as they harbor dreams of a social reality alternative to the empire, they are a threat to the empire. This is another reason why this book is written in the apocalyptic genre. It allows John to employ these images from the Old Testament that people would have known so they can understand it when it gets through because, of course, all their mail would have been going through guards reading and nobody's going to let a treasonous letter escape this island to, to comfort churches to speak about rebellion, political, religious, or otherwise. It's being censored. So John writes in apocalyptic, apocalyptic literature in this style. And so it has to be unpacked and it sneaks through the guards and gets disseminated to the churches. 
And what's it really all about? What do these churches need to hear? You know what the number one command is in the book of Revelation? Look. The number one command is look. This is how many times it happens. Open your eyes. There's a reality different than the one that you see right in front of you. Christians aren't supposed to be those, even in the middle of persecution, who are cowering off in some sort of culture war, turning away from, sheltering under themselves, hiding away. John can't tell them enough times to their pastor, open your eyes, re-engage. Open your eyes, there's a different reality even to one that you see right now. Look not only with the eyes of your head, look with the eyes of your heart. Look with the eyes of faith. Look at who Jesus really is. There is a reality that is different than what you are currently experiencing, and guess what? It is collapsing into the present. This, my friends, is the book of Revelation. Look. Open your eyes and see what's really taking place and who this really is. Even in the eight verses we just read, listen to the revelation of Jesus Christ. Grace, peace, He is, and he was, and he is to come. He is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead. He is the ruler of the kings of the earth. He loves us. He has freed us. He has made us to be a kingdom of priests. He's full of glory and power. And look, he is coming. Not he's sitting on a throne one day waiting for the parousia, the second coming, when he'll then start doing something. No, he is coming. This keeps coming in the present tense throughout this book. The future is breaking into the present, and you, brothers and sisters, are the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. He is coming. Even in the end of the book, the voice thunders from the throne, I am making all things new. The reason why persecution and suffering and everything else exists is because that pressure of the perfection of Christ is coming and it is breaking in. So Jesus said it when he walked with us, the kingdom of God is at hand. And as it comes, it creates turmoil. The word used throughout the book, translated in English often as persecution, is the word thlipsis. It's crushing pressure. Crushing pressure. You hear all those things rattled off about Jesus? Look at that. Look at that reality. That's just who you are. So the number one command throughout this book is look. See reality not for the way the voices of your culture will define it. See the reality not for the people who sit in positions of power think that it is. Because one day, even the despots of the world, even the most powerful people, everyone will bow a knee before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You see, we can look around us and see terrors in places like North Korea or what we see as an increasingly dictatorial government in Venezuela or the threat of ISIS in the Middle East or all of these different things taking place, but the reality and the truth is that one day all of them, all of our leaders, all of the rich, all of the powerful, everyone will bow the knee before this. So this is the reality that's encroaching. This is more true than whatever you think is currently true. Fake news, accurate news, whatever. Here's some truth. Look. And then the second command? Do not be afraid. The second most popular command in the book of Revelation is do not be afraid. 
So often we've come to this book and we're afraid of these monsters and these crazy figures. There's dragons and beasts and they're coming out of different places and the whore of Babylon. And then in chapter 16, there's a supposed lighting up of the armies of the world in the valley of Megiddo or what we call Armageddon. Hey, spoiler alert. In the book of Revelation, the battle of Armageddon doesn't actually happen. You know why? Because Jesus shows up. That's what ends this. That the is coming becomes the coming. And so John the pastor is writing to people in the middle of suffering and persecution. Look. Look behind the reality. Let me show you behind the curtain of the real things that are taking place. That might even be betraying your own eyes right now. And then because of it, don't be afraid. The famous evangelist E. Stanley Jones once said it like this. When we're reading Revelation, it's not, look what the world has come to, but look what has come to the world. It's what you sang about here a few minutes ago. It's the reality that we live in. Our posture as Christians in the world isn't, look at what the world has come to, but look at what has come to the world. It renews, and it restores, and it redeems, and it makes new, and it makes beautiful again. And it's doing it everywhere, like a slow-washing flood, and you are all being added to that number. You are the flood on this world. The inbreaking of God's kingdom, of all that is supposed to be beautiful and good and righteous in the reign of Christ. In tiny little ways and in big ways. Look. Can you see the real reality? The story was once told of a bunch of seminary students who were gathering in a gym to play basketball. They put their Bibles down, and they were gathering to play. And at one point in time, the janitor who was cleaning up in the gym goes and picks up their books, and he's sitting down reading it. And when they finally come over him at break time and ask him, so what are you reading? He said, the book of Revelation. And they kind of scoff a little bit and be like, do you understand that? He says, yep. He says, Jesus is going to win. There's a lot of stuff to unpack in this book, but that really is the ending. And it's not just his ending. Because of who he is and how he freely gives, it's our ending. Isn't that beautiful? We get to live in light of the end. You ever taken your friend into your house and like shown him around all the different places and you know what's around every corner? Like you kind of know even the little surprises and the cool little things you're going to point out to them? You and I get to do that for the rest of the world. We know a little bit about what's around the next corner. We know a little bit about the ending of this story. And so we get to stand a little taller. And we don't run around screaming, saying, oh no, look what the world has come to. We get to confidently stand and say, look what has come to the world. It is so beautiful. And it is so good. It is Jesus. Will you pray with me? God, you are good. And your love and your faithfulness endure forever. You have never abandoned your people even in the darkest of hours or where it seems like death and evil have an upper hand. You are truth. And Father, we ask that through this time and studying this book, you would increase our faith, that you would increase our confidence in you. 
that we would learn how to look with eyes to see the world around us anew, to see it as yours, increasingly yours, our lives as yours, our decisions, our actions, our moments, our days as yours. We want to look with the eyes of our heart and the eyes of our faith. We want to be able to rise above moments and not be dictated by our circumstances, but instead dictated by your truths. Father, help us to do that together as a community this year in worship, in play, in every part of who we are. We're offering it all up to you. In the name of the one who owns all of it, our risen King Jesus, we pray. Amen. Will you stand and receive a parting blessing? Children of God, you are adored. You are loved. You have been fought for. You have been bought back. You are free. Regardless of whatever happens on the news or whatever is going on in the world around you, you are free if you are in Christ. Go in confidence. Go in peace to love and serve our God. Amen. Have a beautiful day.